Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Oh my God. Uh, so this, uh, this episode is posting a day late. I was going to do this as a live stream this week because I was on location or out traveling this weekend. Uh, I was in Arizona and uh, I will tell you all about that in just a moment. Uh, but first, I just want to make it clear the live stream was supposed to happen, and then it didn't happen because the internet connection where I was at was not adequate to the task. I thought I was getting good phone connection, but it didn't work out. So that was a real bummer, and I do apologize to everybody who tried to log on or got confused by that. That was my bad. Um, I, I couldn't really control the, the internet connection, but I... Um, you know, was just in terms of not testing that first or something like that. Anyway, it was a little bit of a wild weekend, so it wasn't really a whole lot of time to be doing any testing of anything. I did not get a lot of sleep this weekend. It was pretty crazy because I went ghost hunting this weekend. And not as some uh, paid excursion, but actually to help a, a person that I know. Uh, Zach is, uh, is what we are naming him. And um, he had told me about this ghost haunting that he had in his home and he was actually quite concerned about it and he had um had various uh you know issues come up with this other people had been kind of freaking out about it a bit and his and other friends of his in his life and uh so i told ross and carrie from the oh no ross and carrie podcast about this because i thought they might be interested in what he was saying and perhaps you know, working on um, on figuring out what's going on. And they readily jumped right on board. Ross was very excited about it, as was Carrie. And so we actually arranged this uh, a couple of months ago. This has, been, this has been going on behind the scenes. And we finally got down there this weekend and uh, met up at, uh, at the, uh, you know, we all met up at the airport, went to Zach's place and uh, spent the weekend checking things out. I'm not going to get into all the details because Ross and Carrie are going to do a whole podcast on it. I'm, I, I hope I'm part of that as well, but I was certainly part of what was going on. You can see a picture here of our <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, we took that after we were all done. Um, what uh, the, the thing I want to say about this is that, um, you know, I want everybody to know a couple things about the experience without getting into all, like I said, all the details about it. First off, I went down there actually hoping that, the, that his story was true. Uh, I have said before that I have uh, spiritual hopes, not beliefs, because I don't feel that the, that the ideas that I have are strong enough to say that I believe that there are ghosts and spirits or, or an afterlife or a supernatural world or something like that. I've kind of put that all on the shelf and said, well, if I'm going to ever fall, you know, go into believing or accepting that those things are true, then I'm going to need to see some evidence of it. Uh, I'm not going to just take it on faith. I, I had a pretty bad experience taking a whole bunch of stuff on faith and, uh, you know, and I'm not a big uh, proponent of, of organized religion, but I also want to respect the, and, uh, and tolerate other people's beliefs and their ideas so long as they're not harming other people. So that's kind of my overall attitude, but, I, but I, I went into this thing actually hoping that we would find evidence. Um, I didn't go into it with the, oh, this is all just a bunch of bullshit, we're going to go down there and debunk it, it's a, you know, whatever. 
Uh, and, and from the moment we walked in the house, that was my, uh, my plan. And I was kind of, you know, are there going to be any creepy vibes or feelings? Is there going to be any, any, you know, voices in my head or am I going to see any manifestations of anything? And, um, you know, uh, spoiler, we, we did not. <laughs> uh, and we, and, and the other, uh, but, but that leads me to the other thing I wanted to comment on about this trip because it was kind of fun and unexpected. Um, I, I was a little disappointed when we debunked the things, but I just applied, you know, critical thinking and, and evidence-based reasoning to what we were doing, and we one by one took the phenomena and manifestations that were going on. Um, but at the end, when we came to the point where we had shown Zach uh, the results of everything that had happened, he was relieved. He was, he was, it, we helped him uh, de-stress and, and kind of chill about his home. And I did not particularly see that coming. I didn't look at this as, well, we're going to go out there and help him. Um, I, you know, I, I was thinking we were going to go out there and do this, this very interesting thing that I'd never done before. But I didn't realize when we went into it how much stress and, and, and anxiety was connected for Zach with what had been going on in his house and, and with some of his friends that we talked to also. Uh, so, so getting it all debunked was actually kind of a service in a way for him, you know. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't apparent until after we were all done and I could see the, 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 just the relief, just the worry just, you know, kind of going off his face. And, uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and, it, and it made me, you know, think, uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be really a good idea somehow if, if somebody could go and do what we just did to like every single one of the ghost stories that, that you know, the ghost hunters, uh, I don't know, over 12 seasons or something ridiculous like that. You know, they went to all these different places and wandered around in the dark basically talking to themselves or to each other. Uh, never any real, you know, proof of anything uh, that, they, that they ever found because had there been proof of something, we would have heard about it outside of the Ghostbusters or Ghost Hunters show. Uh, you know, and, and there are many iterations of this show, um, but it never occurred to me that, that the people who were uh, suffering from feeling like they lived in a haunted house or a haunted building or, or uh, you know, haunted whatever were stressing out and experiencing anxiety and, and some emotional issues about it. So it was, uh, it's, it, it's a good, you know, it was kind of cool to, to experience that. So. Um, I did not get a lot of sleep this weekend, and when I got back here today, I wanted to get this done this morning, but I tend to buy, bite off a little more than I can chew all the time, uh, or misestimate how long things are going to take. I got back, I had to catch up on everything, I had to catch up on some sleep because I was just wasted, and um, had to do some shopping. <laughs> I mean, I had to get everything in order so I could sit down here and do this tonight. So thank you very much for everybody's patience uh, with my schedule and all of that. But I think uh, I think that you know the, the the work that I'm doing is uh, is interesting enough and, and fascinating enough uh, for me, and I hope for you guys uh, as it all comes out that um, that you'll put up with some of my shenanigans. Let's go ahead and answer some of your questions now. I have put some together, and I think they're pretty interesting. So here we go. Anonymous. Love the work you're doing. It's helping me figure out how to talk to a friend of mine who is wanting to pursue Scientology. What I'm concerned with is that with Scientology being a money-making cult, 
What do they do to people without much money that actively pursue them? My friend does not have money to spare and their finances aren't great, but they can pay their bills and they work a humble job. Since Scientology is all about the money, what would they do if my friend showed up eager to join? Okay, good question. Scientology's lower level services are pretty cheap. $50 courses, $75 courses, uh, $150 or something. Uh, they'll even give you a free introductory session and then you can pay, you know, $150 or $300 for a co-audit where you and another person read parts of Dianetics, listen to a couple of Hubbard lectures on the subject, and then audit one another with Book One Dianetics from Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. It's called Book One because it was the first book by Hubbard. Um, that is, uh, that kind of, uh, there, there's something called a Dianetics seminar you can take, which is only like a, which is a weekend activity. I think that's like a hundred or two hundred dollars. So they're kind of eager to get people in without having to charge them an arm and a leg to get started. Very few people are going to walk in and just plop down a thousand bucks or two thousand dollars for the major services. They're going to come in on a, on a gradient, <laughs> you know, on a, on a, on a scale. Um, they're also going to be very heavily pushing books on your friend. Uh, they're going to want him to read Hubbard's uh, either Dianetics or Scientology, The Fundamentals of Thought, which is sort of the book one of Scientology. It's sort of a survey of Scientology and gives its basic concepts and principles. Uh, or, uh, you know, a light grade book like New Slant on Life, which is a book that just has a bunch of essays from Hubbard that are some of them kind of interesting, um, all of them flawed in, to one degree or another. Um, even if the flaw is simply the hypocrisy of Hubbard saying, you know, for example, writing an essay called What is Greatness, where he talks about how the, the greatest test of a person is their ability to love somebody despite invitations to hate them, you know, enemies or people who are opposed to you. Hubbard says true greatness lies in being able to love people uh, despite that, uh, you know, and not, not you know, seething with hatred towards them. Uh, sure, deal with them, you know, discipline them if necessary, if they're criminals or something, but, um, but don't fall into the trap of hating them. And that's kind of inspirational writing and it sounds pretty good. Uh, if only Hubbard himself had applied it, I might be a little bit more impressed. So, um, so there's a collection of essays in that book, or there are other basic books. Um, they're, they're big on that. They really, Hubbard was real big on getting people to read his books, uh, because he then is the one who's doing the sales job. And people fall for his writing. If they didn't, then Scientology wouldn't be around and we wouldn't be talking right now. So, uh, so those are, you know, the books are 10, 15, 20 bucks. Those are the introductory type activities that are going on. And they'll probably try to work on, they'll tell your friend, oh, it's not a lot of money. All, this, all these rumors and internet nonsense about how Scientology costs hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, that's not even true. Look, you can do this co-audit where you can learn with another person and then you guys can just audit all day every day. You just have as much fun as you want, audit away. We won't charge you anything to just come in and, and audit and that is true. But that auditing, the kind of auditing they're gonna have you doing uh, for co-auditing is only gonna last so long. Even Hubbard said in his materials that you really only wanna do book one co-auditing for about 100 or 200 hours, and then after that, it's not really gonna be producing much in the way of results. 
I thought that was kind of an interesting admission on Hubbard's part. That came years after Dianetics had been published. Originally, he was saying that, you know, you can co-audit all the way to clear and, you know, be in this wonderful new state. And that, of course, changed over the years as, as Scientology came along. And Hubbard then said that book one auditing was pretty light level auditing and you and to really get to clear and to get to the upper levels of OT you're going to need to use the e-meter and you're going to have to have metered auditing and that's going to cost you more because they charge by the hour for that and they sell it in blo in blocks of 12 and a half hours called intensives you can do inter you can do basic forms of auditing which is called public division auditing or division six auditing because it's in division six on their organizing board. That's where the public divisions where the new people go. That kind of auditing is usually sold for about three, four, five hundred dollars. I'm, I'm hedging a little bit because I haven't been involved with Scientology for a few years, so I don't know what they're currently charging. But those uh, they'll sell a twelve and a half hour block of of basic auditing for you know a few hundred bucks the advanced level auditing the stuff that's that you actually have to do in order to get to clear for real costs thousands of dollars for a for a per intensive more like about four or five thousand dollars so uh that's the dealio as far as the money goes for new people uh they will they will string our person along like your friend who doesn't have a lot of money for months trying to get them to do services including some of the basic courses that they offer have to do with making money organizing your money dealing with your finances so they'll even work a person over with those courses trying to get them to learn hubbard's methods for financial security and solvency uh, you know some of hubbard's ideas are not actually that bad but again you know, if, if the church wasn't, you know, financially raping everybody who walked in the door, I might be a little bit more impressed. You know, they say, for example, in the materials, Hubbard says to not ever, ever, ever uh, get into debt. Don't, don't use credit cards. Like, what? <laughs> you know, that's the first thing they're trying to get you to do when you walk in uh, to buy services. I've had friends who were, uh, uh, you know, people I've, I've in, been in touch with who are still involved in Scientology or have been over the last few years who have told me that uh, they were heavily uh, pressured to apply for more credit cards, take out loans, uh, mortgage their homes, their cars, you know, whatever, uh, in order to uh, get some money together so they could pay for services. So, uh, so it's kind of weird that they give you a course telling you not to go into debt, to, you know, to have multiple sources of income, to have a budget, you know, do sensible things with your finances. And then at the same time, they're telling you, you know, violate all those rules. But that's the contrarian world of Scientology. Uh, okay, so I think that kind of gives you some idea of what to expect. G. Salvale, you have mentioned the RPF often, and at least once you mentioned the RPF's RPF. What does one have to do to get on the RPF's RPF, and how does one get off it? How does it differ from the RPF? All right, the Re RPF, Rehabilitation Project Force, which is the sort of Chinese totalitarian re-education camp that the Sea Org uses to re-indoctrinate its members who have failed miserably or what they say have committed treasonous acts against the Sea Org and so deserve to really be kicked out of the Sea Org 
but instead they're going to extend them this, you know, this olive branch and give them a chance to rehabilitate themselves. And that's why it's called the Rehabilitation Project Force. And I've discussed this in detail. I'm not going to go into all of it again. Now, the RPF's RPF is a disciplinary unit within the RPF. It's also called the RZAR because nobody likes rocking around going RPF's RPF, RPF's RPF. So they just shortened it to RZAR. And, uh, and if you're on the RZAR, if you get put on the RZAR, that means you, have, you are already on the RPF and you screw up or mess up on something or you want to leave the RPF, you want to leave the Sea Org. In, but in either of those cases, you are considered to have been committing treasonous acts towards the RPF. And you're already on your last line, you're on your last chance to be a Sea Org member and to remain a good a Scientologist in good standing. And now uh, you're blowing it even harder. So then you go to the RZAR. And on the RZAR, the schedule is tightened up even, even a little bit more. Uh, instead of 20-minute meals, you get 15-minute meals and, you know, this sort of thing. And the RZAR tends to deal with um, RPF um, maintenance. Like, for example, the laundry. You know, the, all these people are running around on the RPF uh, doing all this hard physical labor. They don't do their la own laundry. The RZAR does it. Uh, or if the RZAR is emptied out, then a unit of the RPF is selected to do everybody's laundry for example, right? The RZAR would also sometimes set up for meals uh, because when we would go in to eat food, uh, we would have to get, you know, everything, the, the, the main mess where everybody eats would be clean from the earlier settings. And so we'd have to get plates and get uh, utensils and get the um, dishes and the food served up. And so the RZAR would sometimes do that. Again, if the RZAR was emptied out, then it was up to uh, what would happen is one person from each unit would, would be sent uh, early to help set up for the, for the meal. And even that was rigorously controlled, so you, you know, had to run in order to make it on time and, and get everything to, to be done. Uh, the RZAR is a sort of like a little mini RPF within the RPF, so you have to do amends work, you have to make up the damage you've done to the RPF by doing Hubbard's uh, lower conditions, uh, these condition formulas, we've talked about these before. They're steps that you take in order to improve your lot in life. Uh, and when you're in a lower condition, that means you are below non-existence, you're treasonous, you are a liability or an enemy of the group. These are all the, the names of these lower conditions. Uh, if you want to leave, you're, you're called, uh, it's, said, it's said that you're being in doubt you don't know whether you want to be there or not, and then you got to get that sorted out for yourself. So each of these conditions has a, a series of steps that you do, and you have to go through those steps. And the RZAR has time each day to work on that. And uh, the thing about the RZAR is when you're on the RPF, you have a twin. You work with somebody. If you go to the RZAR, your twin goes too. So, for example, when I was on the RPF, I had a twin who I was working with, and he suddenly originated that he wanted to leave. He didn't want to be there anymore. He was sick of it. It, it was grinding. It was going nowhere. And so he wanted to, to leave the Sea Org entirely. He went to the RZAR. I went with him. Now, it was recognized that I hadn't messed up. You know, he was the one who wanted to leave. I hadn't given up. So I only was there for about a week getting through my steps and trying to help him to, you know, salvage him to stay, but he didn't want to, and I was kind of okay with that. So I finished, 
And I had to, when you, the last step of the liability formula that you do after you've made up the damage to the group, uh, in this case, the group being the RPF, you have to ask the permission of everybody on the RPF to be accepted back in. And only by getting a majority of them agreeing that you're okay to come back, do you get okay to go back to the RPF. Similarly, when you graduate the RPF and you go back out into the Sea Org world, and now you're back to being a Sea Org member again, you also have to do that liability formula and do those steps and get signatures from people in the Sea Org to be accepted back. And now, and once that liability is done, that's really the end of the RPF for you because now you're no longer in this lower condition. All right, so that's kind of the deal with the RZR. I hope that answers your question. Yusuf. There is an obsession in Muslim communities in the West with Illuminati and Freemasonry conspiracy theories. There is a special obsession with the I symbol used on banknotes. This is because the Muslims believe that the Antichrist will be one-eyed. Could you set the record on these issues? How shall we debunk the myths that there are secret societies that control the globe? I guess the first approach I would have is to ask them how they know things if they're a secret. Well, exactly, Yusuf. That's, that's the, always the first question I ask of conspiracy theorists, because if they've somehow stumbled on all this information that is literally all over the internet, then how is it that these are secret societies or that these are secret clandestine plans and, and that there's some conspiracy that nobody knows about if you know all about it? That makes no sense. And if these things are such, you know, world dominating, if these people were serious about dominating the world and doing so in secret, and they have billions of dollars at their fingertips and the control of the military, for example, I mean, these 9-11 truthers are just the most ridiculous people because how many people from the military would have to be compromised and made part of a conspiracy to take down the two towers or to crash airplanes? I mean, come on, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It, it, it defies all reason. They'd have to have thousands of people involved. And the thing about conspiracies that we see over and over again, including right now in real time, is that they, they fall apart at, 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 a, at a, you just have to breathe on them and they fall apart. So, uh, so, so anyway, the, the, the question of secrecy, the question of how we know all about this stuff, Where's the documentation or actual evidence of these conspiracies? It is not a matter of connecting dots that you think connect. That ain't how actual investigation works. You need evidence. You need to show these things. Uh, you need to have proof. If you're going to say that, uh, you know, Rockefeller was responsible, Nelson Rockefeller was responsible for, um, oh, I don't know, running the Council on Foreign Relations and thereby, um, you know, controlling everybody who's ever attended a CFR meeting or he's working in collusion with the people who go to CFR meetings and they, therefore, are the ones who come up with these plans. Well, I want to see some notes. I want to see some plans. I want to see, like, in his handwriting or with his name on it or with something. I want to see evidence of these plans actually being drawn up and I want to see bank transfers I want to see you know money trails being followed this is not impossible to do there are such things as forensic accounting and investigation uh, bodies that that do this sort of thing so uh, and ever since 9/11 by the way 
the ability to move money from one place to another without it being tracked to the penny is a little hard. To, it's, it's very, very difficult. So there are records of all of this stuff. Uh, in publicly traded corporations, in, in, these, uh, in these banks, they, you know, the, their records are not all private. You know, you can dig in and find this stuff if it exists, but they never go to that level of detail because these things are just fantasies. So I, but basically the bottom line is if you want to debunk a conspiracy theory that you believe is not true or, you know, has some holes in it or has something about it that you're, that you find, you know, fantastic or hard to believe, uh, just ask for solid evidence of it and make them get it. And if they can get it, great. Now we've got something. If they can't and they're saying, well, he said this here and he said this here and he attended a meeting with this guy here and therefore, you know, Joe was here and here and he attended the meeting with Bill and therefore Bill is corrupt. I mean, you can't, you just can't be making connections like that and calling it good reasoning or good investigation. So uh, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs>It is time for Flash Answers. Michelle Hathorne, why do you think a disproportionate number of Scientologists seem to die slash suffer of cancer? Of course, it is purely anecdotal. It is just something I have noticed. Yeah, people comment on this, but I don't know that it's actually a disproportionate number. If you run the numbers of how many Scientologists actually die of cancer versus the number of people in the big wide world who die of cancer, I don't think you're going to find, my supposition is that you're not going to find a disproportionate number. We talk about it in terms of Scientology because it's a contrary situation because Hubbard claims that Dianetics and Scientology processes and techniques will cure cancer or deal with cancer or relieve cancer. So why would any Scientologist die of cancer when supposedly they have the cure for it? That's the thing that doesn't make sense, and that's why you hear about people dying of cancer in Scientology maybe more often than you do out in the big wide world. Riley222. In your staycation announcement video, hope you enjoyed your time by the way, you mentioned something about some Sea Org members actually making a lot of money for the church or for Miscavige. Could you please elaborate on that? Did you refer to people who make great donations or to people whose job it is to collect money from parishioners? The people I was referring to, I believe, from my memory here, are uh, regs, salespeople, the people who collect money for services and for books and materials in Scientology. That's who I was talking about. Peter, can you comment on the John Ziegel tapes? There are four videos on YouTube. It seems to be a reflection of a person who became independent and how that independent field developed. The first three tapes are looking very optimistically on the past and future of the field. The fourth tape is basically a recanting of the first three. Do you have any background on this? Who is slash was John Ziegel? Is tape number four a case of A to E? Not A to E, but somebody who just wanted the church off his back and so he went ahead and did what they asked him to do. John Ziegel was an independent Scientologist in the 1980s who was, very, who was hooked up with David Mayo's group in Santa Barbara, California. He was very excited about separating from the church and forming a new Scientology that would be free of Miscavige and uh, his authoritarian nonsense. And so he produced these, these tapes in the, in the night. This is all back in the 1980s, all pre-internet. They got, you know, obviously put up on the internet. And the fourth one is him saying, yeah, no, not so much. Not really. I didn't mean any of that. 
uh, and then he disappeared entirely as far as I know, and I believe he died in 2006 or 7. So that's what I know about him. I never knew him in person. I looked, I just googled this to find out the answer to your question, because I had never heard of John Siegel up until uh, your question. Okay, everybody, so that is our show for this week. Um, again, if you uh, find my channel informative, educational, and entertaining, please consider supporting me through Patreon uh, or, of course, through PayPal for a one-time donation. Everything you guys throw my way really, really helps. Uh, enables me to go ghost hunting, <laughs> enables me to do this channel, and buys me the time that I need to do so. I've got so many projects going right now and so much work happening in addition to getting married in less than a month. So my life is just crazy busy these days, but I am um, uh, keeping my head above the water and getting this content out here and uh, keeping it going. And I really, really appreciate the support you guys are giving me in order to make this happen. Thanks a lot. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.